This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. Good morning. My name is Gail Ellis, and I'm Dean of Admissions at Suffolk Law School. This morning, I'd like to introduce Kathleen Engel, a member of our faculty who is a national authority on mortgage finance and regulation, subprime and predatory lending, and housing discrimination. Her many publications, some of which she wrote with her frequent co-author, Professor Patricia McCoy, include articles in Texas Law Review, Fordham Law Review, Washington University Law Quarterly, Connecticut Law Review, and the Fordham Urban Law Journal. Professor Engel presents her research in academic, banking, and policy forums throughout the country and around the world. Her analysis of financial service markets and the laws that regulate them regularly catches the attention of the press. She has consulted with all levels of government on issues related to predatory lending and mortgage lending. Discrimination. Hello, my name is Kathleen Engel, and I'm going to tell you a bit about a course I teach at Suffolk University Law School. The title of the course is Credit and Catastrophe, and as you can guess, it's about the recent financial crisis. For a time, almost any adult with a pulse could get a loan in the United States to buy a home or refinance a mortgage. Investment banks bought up these mortgages and converted them into bonds through a process called securitization. For years, those involved in mortgage lending and securitization from brokers and lenders to investment banks and rating agencies made unprecedented amounts of money. That is until the subprime crisis hit. Today, millions of people have lost their homes and jobs, and the country has taken on massive debt to finance what we hope will be an economic recovery. In my course, Credit and Catastrophe, we explore the many forces that contributed to the boom in mortgage lending and to the eventual bust. And because we're a law school, we focus on the role that laws, or the lack of laws, played in the boom and bust. So how did the law facilitate the crisis? The answer is in many ways. In fact, it takes me an entire semester to answer this question with the students. For now, I'm going to give you three examples and invite you to take my course if you want a deeper understanding. The first example involves something called yield spread premiums. Many subprime borrowers went through mortgage brokers to apply for their loans. Brokers are the intermediaries between borrowers and lenders. Borrowers generally believe that brokers represent their best interests. But that's not the case. Brokers earn commissions based in part on the interest rate the borrowers pay. Each day, lenders give brokers rate sheets that list the interest rate they will accept based on a borrower's qualifications. If a broker originates a loan for an interest rate above the lender's minimum, the broker receives a bigger commission. Borrowers never see the rate sheets, and there is no other way for them to learn the lowest rate a lender is willing to give them. Brokers thus have every incentive to offer borrowers an interest rate above the lender's minimum in order to generate larger commissions. Unsuspecting borrowers, thinking that brokers are getting them the best deals possible, end up paying higher interest rates. Higher interest rates mean higher monthly payments, which increase the odds that borrowers will default and lose their homes to foreclosure. This is an example where the lack of the law contributed to the subprime crisis. If brokers had had to disclose the rate sheets or disclose to borrowers that they were not acting in their best interests, borrowers might have shopped around for better and more affordable deals. It's worth noting that the Federal Reserve Board has proposed new regulations recently that would ban yield spread premiums altogether. Another example involves credit default swaps. You may know that credit default swaps are what brought down AIG. Swaps serve multiple functions. I'm just going to talk about one of them, the insurance function. When investors bought bonds and other securities backed by subprime mortgages, they worried that if the housing market crashed, their bonds would be worthless. So they bought insurance against the possibility of future losses. This insurance took the form of credit default swaps. If the investor's bonds defaulted, the swap provider would step in to cover the investor's losses. 
But the problem is that insurance only works if insurers have money to pay out on policyholders' claims. Because of this concern, insurance is heavily regulated in the United States. Most importantly, laws require that insurance companies maintain certain levels of capital, money in reserve, to pay out claims in the future. When it came to swaps, however, federal agencies elected not to regulate them like they would insurance, even though swaps looked and smelled like insurance policies. AIG was the biggest seller of swaps, and when the housing market tanked and borrowers defaulted, AIG simply didn't have the money in reserve to pay out policyholders' claims. Again, a lack of regulation in particular capital requirements for credit default swaps, exacerbated the subprime crisis. The two examples I've talked about involve how the failure to have laws or regulations contributed to the crisis. My final example involves how an existing law contributed to the crisis. Securitization, as I mentioned earlier, involves the selling of loans. Lenders make the loans and then sell them, usually to investment banks, that eventually carve pools of loans into securities. Before securitization emerged, banks kept loans on their books. They didn't sell them. If a lender engaged in any type of wrongdoing in originating a loan, a borrower could simply refuse to pay the loan. If the lender then sued the borrower for not paying, the borrower could defend on the grounds, for example, that the lender had engaged in fraud. The possibility of such a defense by borrowers created an incentive for lenders to be careful when making loans. They didn't want borrowers to have an excuse for not paying. With securitization, all that changed. Once loans are sold, the new owners can collect payments from borrowers even if the loans were fraudulently obtained. In legal parlance, this is called the holder in due course rule. For example, say a lender misrepresented to a borrower that he could refinance his loan in 30 days at half the original interest rate and the borrower relied on the statement. As soon as the loan was sold for securitization, the borrower would have to pay the new owner of the loan even though the lender had deceived him into taking out the loan in the first place. The holder in due course rule predates securitization by hundreds of years, but it had a significant effect on the subprime crisis. First, some borrowers are losing their homes even though their loans were unlawful from the get-go. This is because they have no right to defend foreclosure actions once their loans are sold. Second, the holder in due course rule reduced lenders and investment banks' concerns about wrongdoing when loans were made. Lenders were less concerned because they weren't holding the loans on their books. Investment banks were less concerned because they could collect on the loans even if they were unlawful. With no one policing lending, risky lending took off. I hope this description of credit and catastrophe helps you see that the curriculum at Suffolk University Law School invites you to not only learn the nuts and bolts of the law, but also to explore how the law influences the society and the economy. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.